Good afternoon, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Handful of topics we're going to get into today, as always, as we talk about the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. I was thinking about a couple things that kind of, as always, kind of grinded my gears a little bit. Um, working pretty passionately on the top 100 offensive position players of all time. I have some ideas from 21 to 23. And I said all along as we were working on establishing what the criteria is. And this criteria is going to change over time because you're talking about so many different generations of baseball and years and a game that's different in the 19th century than it is right now. And when you're trying to set whatever you want as a standard for who the best player of each generation is, how do you intermesh them and say a player that played in 1952 is better than a player that played in 1915? It's hard because you talk about the fact that baseball excluded black people from the game for so long, and that wasn't right. So because of that, are you going to say that, hey, the only best baseball players of a certain time frame up to 1947 were all white? Of course not. So you have to uh, talk about some of the best players of the Negro Leagues, like Josh Gibson and Oscar Charleston, who made the top 20. So if you're up and you want to just keep an eye on where I'm at with the top 20 offensive position players of all time, you can check out on my website, johnpiele.com. We have... The top 20 that are etched in stone. One player I do want to talk about is Mike Trout. Mike Trout, um, the eighth highest on-base percentage plus slugging, OPS, in the history of baseball as he enters his 10th year. His 10th year should basically be enough for him to get into Baseball's Hall of Fame because of what he's accomplished at this point of his career. But where does he rank amongst the best baseball players of all time? So we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I was watching a little basketball this past week, and you know, you, you got the games going on with the college as we're getting set towards March Madness, and so one of the things that stands out is a lot of the big-time programs, the ones that we hear about and know that the national championship in basketball usually has to go through are, are not amongst the big teams this year. Think of a team like North Carolina not even close to the top 25, not making the field to 64. And you got teams like Dayton and Baylor. And even Gonzaga, who is still waiting for a national championship. They've been a prominent team for a very long time, a fixture in the field of 64. But, you know, up to this point, they have not won themselves a national championship. Maybe this is the year that, that they end up going and doing it. But I was thinking of a couple things, you know, in regards to the NBA. And you always hear about the National Basketball Association being about its players and to a point where the players control the sport. They control their teams. They control the ability for the rest of the team to make moves. And in a lot of cases, they dictate exactly who their head coaches are. And one of the things that kind of stood out to me, because I think of history and I think of baseball and I think of football and you know you've seen in a lot of cases especially with baseball and in some cases with basketball teams going to the whole uh, player coach thing 
And it's something that you haven't seen in, a bas- in basketball since the late 1970s. And I think Dave Cowens was the last player coach in NBA history. And that stands out because I think the game of basketball has gravitated so much towards its players that maybe it's time that somebody like a LeBron James, somebody like a Kyrie Irving, some of the more demanding and dominant players in the National Basketball Association should think about becoming player coaches. Because think about it. You got a star player, and I'm not going to use LeBron as the ultimate example, but you've seen many star players basically dictate who the head coach of an individual basketball team is. You know, I look back at David Black with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Cavaliers were winning. It wasn't like they were doing horrible. Yeah, they had a good team. They had a good squad. And LeBron and company wanted a new coach. Frank Vogel was forced out of Indiana a series of years ago. He's coaching the Los Angeles Lakers right now. Now, if things turn sour, and it might not even be record-wise, it might not even be performance-wise, if LeBron James decides that he doesn't want Frank Vogel to be the head coach there anymore, Frank Vogel's not going to be there. So I think about what sport would be best for a player coach. Because I think it's something that sports has gotten away for, from. And I apologize as I'm trying to just put this up. Player coaches in the NBA. And Dave Collins was the last to do it. There's been several, and most of them were in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. And, you know, the, you know, you think of guys like Richie Guerin, but also Lenny Wilkins. Lenny Wilkins made his name as a Hall of Fame player and down the road became a Hall of Fame coach, but also did both at the same time. You know, Bill Russell won a couple championships as the head coach of the Boston Celtics after Red Arbach. He, he was a player coach. Dave DeBusher, Carl Braun, Al Adels, Bob Cousy, Dolph Shays. Of course, Dave Cowens, who I just mentioned. And you wonder, as the game stands right now in the National Basketball Association, with the stress being on the fact that players, listen, may be a little more demanding now. They may be a little more needy now than they were in past years. You know, that element of a team and everybody working together at the direction or discretion of the coach is not what it used to be. It's you either fit in or you don't fit in. You think of a guy like Kobe Bryant and players that either played with him or couldn't play with him. The same thing you, you say about LeBron James. There's certain players that can you can play with that can play with LeBron James and others that are just like, ah, I don't know if his style is too – is okay with me. I don't know if I'm willing to practice like that. I don't know if I'm willing to follow the orders of another player. So my message to that player is if, all right, you're not going to listen to another player, are you going to listen to the coach? And if you're not going to listen to the coach, who is it that you are going to listen to? And I know this doesn't get brought up too much, but the NBA seems to be growing towards the whole players only type of thing. And if it's going to go that route, then why not 
hire players to be coaches. They don't necessarily have to be the stars, but I would start with a LeBron James being the coach of the Lakers. I would start with a, a Giannis, a Kunatampo being the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, if you wanted to. You know, Kyrie Irving being the coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Now you're seeing coaches that end up getting good track records. Think about Pat Riley in the 1980s. All of a sudden he became the head coach when Magic Johnson didn't want Paul Westhead there anymore. And the Lakers did great things. But also Pat Riley developed his image and his reputation as the type of coach that he was and got a job with the Knicks after he was done with the Lakers. Got a job with the Heat and ends up you know, as the executive and the president running the Miami Heat right now. Eric Spolstra, basically Riley's assistant or the, you know, the guy that basically Riley has taken under his wing is an established coach in the NBA right now. And you're still seeing a lot of recycled head coaches, guys that, I don't know, I don't know if they've proven so much. I don't know if the Frank Bogles and the David Blatts and the, uh, you know, the, the guys, the, you know, the Tom Thibodeaux of the world. I don't know if they've really established themselves enough to warrant being another team's head coach. Let's say there is a vacancy, an opening, a team decides to fire its head coach in a National Basketball Association. Are, are those the type of guys that you're really looking for to lead your squad? Maybe it's time to start looking from within. Start with the star players, but also kind of take a look at the landscape of a team. And if there are certain leaders that have stood out, then maybe they should get more consideration to be a head coach in the NBA. The other thing I got to talk about, and I'm sorry for even bringing this up, maybe I shouldn't, but the effort that the NBA has made with these uniforms that we've seen over the last several years, it's making it very difficult to watch. I mean, yes, if you're a good basketball fan, you understand and you know what NOLA means. But what about that Fairweather fan? What about that young kid that's trying to learn a little bit more about basketball? They're looking at a shirt for the New Orleans Pelicans, and it says NOLA on the front of it. And somebody's probably wondering what the hell that even means. You know, you got the Golden State Warriors jerseys. You got the, the different jerseys that got the player's name on the back. Like I said, for the growing fan, the fan that wants to follow the NBA a little bit more, it's hard to figure out who's on the court. You got the Golden State Warriors, of course, without Klay Thompson, without Steph Curry. Those guys are hurt, you understand. They lost Kevin Durant as a free agent. Andre Iguodala couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. And you're watching a group of players on a court. You don't even know who's playing. Be nice if you could read the back of a player's jersey and all uniforms were a little bit more standard. I'm sorry. I don't know what the, the people that came up with the new style basketball jerseys were looking for, but it's very hard to pay attention to jerseys that are confusing and like I said, you're looking to try to figure out who's on the court and who's playing, and it's pretty hard to identify that. You're watching a poor TNT broadcast. You know, Shaq and 
Charles Barkley, they got nothing to talk about. You can tell they're just like, hey, I'm receiving a check. You know, some people may want to knock the NBA because of lack of excitement. It's not, it's not that. Yes, the Golden State Warriors have taken a dump. They've dropped off of the deep end. They went from being the best team in a sport over the last five years to one of the worst this past season. Part of it's because Durant isn't there anymore. Part of it's because Clay Thompson's hurt. Part of it is because Steph Curry hasn't been on the basketball court for the last couple months. But, you know, you go over there and you look at the Lakers and LeBron, who obviously plays a game the way you want to teach your kid to play. And he's a, he's a martyr and he's an inspiration to the sport. But, man, I tell you, you look at some of these uniforms and the Lakers and the Celtics in some cases. I know they got alternate uniforms that are a little bit off. But what are you trying to prove? What kind of statement are you looking to make with these basketball jerseys? I think it's a little out of whack. Next thing I wanted to bring up, we talk about the NFL combine, you know, college football players coming together. And I'll tell you, first of all, pro football, college football, they've come together. They've done a great job in putting some money behind this NFL combine thing. And obviously it's something that's gone on for a little while, but, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, Nobody cared about, you know, the size of the upcoming quarterback's hands. But they do medicals and they do measurements and they allow these players to go out there and compete. And some players that don't get or didn't get enough attention during the college football season, all of a sudden start to get some scouts looking at them. All of a sudden you see a rise in stock of certain players that maybe were not first round material. But after the combines, you end up starting to look at them a little bit better. And I think it's one of the better things that you've seen in sports, you know, having this this college football or the NFL or the college, whatever you want to call it, the combine to get all these all these players together. And I've been an advocate from the beginning since the start, whatever, three, four weeks ago of the XFL, that if it was done right, the XFL could really serve as a good developmental league for the National Football League. And one of the things you always hear about the quarterback position and the run first quarterback, maybe not having as much of an opportunity in the NFL now as they did really ever. They, they never really did. You know, the Cam Newtons of the world or the Michael Vicks of the world are kind of the, uh, the exceptions to the rule. You know, Deshaun Watson, even Patrick Mahomes up to a certain point, you know, Russell Wilson players like that. But, you know, you hear the, the thing that has been said for many years, the fact that quarterbacks that may not have that big-time arm, that may have their biggest strengths or their best attribute is their legs, have been encouraged to be more of a receiver or more of a runner. Maybe it's time to switch positions. And this is another thing that's been brought out there, and you hear the name Jalen Hurts. And, of course, you think of the season that he had this past year for Ohio State. And the chance that he may have to be an NFL quarterback. Now, he was never looked at in the same category as a Tua. It's hard, it's hard to look at him like that. It's hard to say this guy, yeah, he probably is about that good. Now, you look at Tua, you look at Joe Burrow, you look at some of the other quarterbacks, you know, Justin Herbert, and they're probably all sitting within the first 10 picks 
of the draft. A guy like Jalen Hurts lost his job as a starter a couple years back, and he's out. He's out there looking for a fair enough opportunity to be a starting quarterback. Can he do it in the NFL? The experts are going to tell him no. The experts are going to tell him that he's probably better suited being drafted as a running back or wide receiver and maybe in a type of wildcat formation. Maybe he could be a Brad Smith or a, uh, you know Antoine Randall-L or a Cordell Stewart. And maybe if things go right, he could maybe be a backup or a third-string quarterback on an NFL team. Now, what I believe screams out for a player like Jalen Hurts, and I know he may not like to hear this, it may, for the lack of a horrible, horrible pun intended, it may hurt for him to hear this. Why doesn't he play as a starting quarterback in the XFL? Now, I know there's a lot of doubt about the XFL. You've only seen it, you know, the games be live for about three weeks. You know, at some point, attendance is going to go down. You know, ratings are going to go down because it's just hard to keep the excitement of the football fan out there. We've seen it whether it's the Arena Football League or the CFL or the USFL or the Alliance of American Football or the XFL the first time. Football is in people's bloods. They love to watch it. But at some point, there's going to be a little bit of a fall off. And you hope when there's a fall off in ratings with the XFL, when there's a fall off in attendance at the XFL games, the XFL doesn't file for bankruptcy and just quit like all of these other leagues. Now, I believed all along that the XFL can do this the right way and set it up to where this could be a developmental league for future National Football League players. And one of the things that I talked about a couple weeks ago that I said, ah, at this point, it just doesn't appeal to me is the play of the quarterbacks. And it's maybe up to a certain point where they're not attracting the right type of quarterback. Maybe somebody that's looking to hang around in the game is not really your ideal choice to be a starter in one of these eight teams. Maybe it's a growing player that is coming out of college and maybe got overlooked. And maybe like Jalen Hurts has people, you know, talking in his ear, telling him that he should be a wide receiver or a kick returner or a running back and not a quarterback. Maybe he goes out there and is a starter for one of the teams next year and proves that he could be just as good as a Justin Herbert or a Tua Tagovailoa or a Joe Burrow. But those players, unfortunately, are not going to get much of a chance to play. And if they would get a chance in the National Football League, they're going to sit a little bit of the bench in training camp, get into maybe a couple games, and still be a choice of whether a team wants to keep them as their third quarterback or just cut them and put them on their practice squad. And they're not learning anything from their practice squad either. So I think it would be a great opportunity for Jalen Hurts if he had a chance to just be a starting quarterback. Let's say for the St. Louis Battlehawks or the Los Angeles team. You go out there and you play 10 games over the regular season. If they're good enough, you get your team to the playoffs. And then all of a sudden you could evaluate his numbers at a level of play, which we could say it may be on a college level, maybe a little bit above in some cases. In its first year, you're you're grabbing a lot of 
players that would likely be out of football if it wasn't for the XFL. I think that's fair enough to say. So you're, you, what you're looking for is opportunity. And I told you the league that ended up becoming a constant year in and year out would have to do something along the lines of being a developmental league of the NFL. And the XFL right now, because it's the only league that's in existence, that's not the NFL, has a chance to do it. And I just hope they continue to do it the right way. I hope they don't give up on their investment because there's going to be some bad ratings and some bad attendance over the next handful of weeks. I hope they stick with it. I hope they get through the season. And I hope there's enough investors that are willing to put forth their investments in this product. But I think of a guy like Jalen Hurts playing for one of these teams next year, and it might not be the most ideal scenario. He may say, well, you know, I'd rather be a sixth or a seventh round draft pick by a National Football League team. And maybe if he gets drafted by the right team, he gets a chance to play in training camp, can earn a job as maybe a backup quarterback and maybe be a starter down the road. You know, it's all possible. But I would think rather than, you know, cave into the pressure of saying, hey, these experts are telling me I should be a wide receiver, so maybe I should be a wide receiver. Why don't you go out there and play in a competitive professional league, perform well, and then leave the NFL with no choice but to bring you in there and maybe compete for a backup job. Maybe compete with the likes of a starter that, you know, the consensus is wondering why that starter is there. A Marcus Mariota or a Mitch Trubisky down the road. You say, hey, run this guy in there, give him a chance. Maybe he could outplay the incumbent. A little bit of a recap of the show today, and as always, I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. We spoke about the NBA, and you know, you're looking at it, you're seeing some coaches with a little more stability this year than in past years, but we all know that the star player is kind of the CEO of that team, kind of controls what happens on the court, not just by their own play, but within their leadership abilities. So how come there aren't more player coaches in the NBA? I think this is something that should be considered more. It's got to be a surprise, right? That there hasn't been a player coach in the NBA since 1979. Yet, players are dictating who their coaches are. Why doesn't anybody step up and say, you know what, I'm going to be the head coach. And and like I said, it doesn't have to be the star player. It just has to be somebody that's respected within that group and understands what that group is looking to do. And I think if one team does it, you're, you're going to see a lot of other teams that are going to get back to that. Baseball, I think you basically, you've seen – teams ostracize their manager to a point where their value is nowhere near what it was before. So if you're not respecting the manager, I don't know if you're going to respect a fellow player that's that's watching or overseeing a team. Most of the stuff's coming from the front office. 
If you're going to see maybe somebody that's not a major league baseball manager become a manager, you've seen it. It's guys that are coming from front offices, guys that are working as scouting directors and assistant general managers and heads of analytics staffs, basically becoming a manager on the field. Baseball is not going to have the player manager anymore. Pete Rose was the last player manager when he retired in 1986. It's something you're not going to see very much again, if ever. But basketball, I see it. And speaking of basketball, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for complaining about the uniforms, but you know, some, some of them are just getting a little bit ridiculous. I mean, I think that fair weather to casual basketball fan should be able to identify the players on the court. And you're watching a Golden State team, and I understand they're decimated with injuries. They don't have the star power that they had before. But you're watching guys score points that, hey, hey, you know what? The broadcasters that are that are broadcasting the game better get their game up and call these players' names out a little more because there's no way you're going to see it on the back of the jersey. Spoke a little bit about Jalen Hurts. I think it would be a great opportunity for him if the XFL succeeds this year, if he became one of the team's quarterbacks next year. And I look at the group of quarterbacks that are out in the XFL now, and I don't see anybody that's, you know, outside of, you know, Walker. You know, P.J. Walker's done a good job. You know, both Jones, you know, Cardell and uh, Landry are doing a pretty good job. You know, Josh Johnson, who's played in the NFL before. There's a couple of quarterbacks that may get a little bit of a look when it comes to the NFL next season. But I would expect if the XFL is going to grow and get better, I think the play in the quarterback is going to have to improve. And I think it's recruiting players from college that, you know, may have to consider, do you want to be a sixth-round draft pick in the NFL and really have no chance to win a job as a quarterback on, on an NFL team? Or would you like to be a starter on an XFL team for a year? And I understand the XFL wants to, you know, generate notoriety amongst the names of its players. If it has a star quarterback in the XFL, you'd want that quarterback to be there for a series of years, sell some jerseys, become a face of the league. But at some point, I think the XFL, if it wants to succeed long term, it's going to have to concede its services as far as the best players in its sport probably going to the NFL. And like I said, as a developmental league, this could last a very long time. Last thing I wanted to talk about today, we're talking about the top 100 offensive position players in baseball of all time. One through 20 is up on JohnPielli.com. And I was thinking about some candidates for 21 through 30. And I think a guy like Martin DeHigo, who starred in the Mexican League for many years, is a player that doesn't get the respect that he deserves. I wonder where a player like that fits in the grand scheme of the top 100. But I think of Hank Greenberg, who to me, I would put him as no doubt my number 21 player. Now, for those that don't know the list, and I'll run it over real quick, because I do want to be fair. Top 100 offensive position players of all time. And if you do want to check it out, it's up on JohnPielli.com. And it's a pretty easy list. You think number one's Babe Ruth, number two's Ty Cobb, Ted Williams, Lou Gehrig, Barry Bonds. 
Six through ten is Stan Musial, Henry Aaron, Willie Mays, Rogers Hornsby, Josh Gibson. Eleven through fifteen is Hannes Wagner, Jimmy Fox, Frank Robinson, Alex Rodriguez, Mel Ott. Sixteen through twenty is Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Albert Pujols, Oscar Charleston, and Tris Speaker. So names that I didn't throw out there. To me, Hank Greenberg, I think, is the best player that's not mentioned in my top 20. Over 1,000 OPS over the course of his career, of course, lost some serious years of his prime due to his service in the military. Um, I think there's an active player by the name of Mike Trout that is really right on the borderline of being a top all-time player. He's got to be in 21 through 30 somewhere. And the question is, is it closer to 21 or is it closer to 30? Cap Banson, who every time I mention his name, I think about how much I hate him. I hate what he stood for. I hate the fact that he was a devout racist. I hate the fact that he kept blacks from playing in Major League Baseball throughout his entire career as a player and a manager. That being said, probably the best player of the 19th century. Spent 20, what, 27 years in Major League Baseball, the first to ever get 3,000 hits. Is he the best ever? No, but he certainly belongs somewhere between 21 and 30. Aloysius Simmons, a very underrated player, one of the best players to ever play for Connie Mack and the Philadelphia Athletics. How about Albert Bell? Albert Bell, for a 10-year span, was right up there with anybody that played in baseball history before that. Carl Yastrzemski, you could say, hey, he was a little bit of a compiler, but was one of the best players in baseball when he played. Napoleon Lajaway, great player for the Cleveland Indians, a player that was so prominent and known that they changed the team's name from the Cleveland Broncos to the Cleveland Naps during the time that Lajaway played for them. Ricky Henderson, dominant base stealer, a, an extremely durable player who played for many years, got over 3,000 hits, the best leadoff hitter baseball has ever seen. If you're putting together a lineup, one through nine, you'd be hard-pressed to not think about having, using Ricky Henderson as your leadoff batter. Roger Connor. The all-time home run leader before Babe Ruth. Pete Rose, the all-time hit king. I'll throw some other names out there that are going to get varying degrees of consideration. Ernie Banks, Mike Schmidt, Reggie Jackson, Dick Allen, Duke Snyder. Any, in your opinion, errors or omissions, send it my way, jrple at gmail.com. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Enjoy your weekend. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.